the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today, we are taking a second trip to uh, the world of turtles, if you will. We did an episode a while back, a long time ago, where we talked the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and then we did the 87 to like 96 uh, show, the cartoon, Mm -hmm. but we're like, you know what? We need more turtles in our life. I can't get enough turtle power. I can't get enough ninja rap. So we are now going to discuss the 1991 film, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. Uh, We're then going to pair that with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon from 2003. And then we're going to do a fan casting. Uh, This is actually part of the reason I really wanted to do this episode is because I had read this graphic novel called The Last Ronin. Uh, which is fantastic, came out in 2020, and it is so good. And I'm like, you know what? I really want to cast that. So we'll discuss more about that kind of graphic novel once we get into the casting section. Excited about this episode. John and I, we've, we've, the Turtles was one of our favorite properties, period, throughout our childhood. It's been a huge part of our lives since we were kids. Um, massive fans of the TV show, had a ton of toys, and I've talked about, uh, how the first the when I first saw the trailer for the first movie, it's the first time I actually remember seeing a trailer and like being stupid excited about it. Um, so the, the turtles just mean a lot. Yeah, yeah, they they have to us for a long time. Yeah, looking back, it was at episode fifteen, so it was way back in twenty eighteen, February twenty eighteen is when that episode t- came out. And this is a sequel that we watched a lot. Yeah, I would say I, and we'll get into that. But I think I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two as much as I watched the first one. It's hard for me to say. I can't really quite remember. I think this okay. one was shown more. Um, I don't know if if you were always insistent we were watching this or wherever we were watching it that just happened to be on. I don't remember. I do remember this one probably being shown more than the first one. Okay. All right, well, uh, let's kind of set our minds back to the year it came out, which is 1991. John, what else happened that year? All right, so the film was released on March 22nd, 1991, the Billboard Top 100 single for that week. I had to look it up because I I didn't recognize it. I did recognize the song when it got to the chorus, but it definitely was not a big one. It was called One More Try by Timmy T. One more try, I didn't know how much I loved you. One more try, let me put my arms around you. Living all these lonely nights. Not, not, my, yeah, not one I recognize yeah. either off the name, I, but maybe when I cut it in. I recognized the chorus, but it was definitely a song that I don't think got a ton of play. I think it was just kind of a, a brief flash in the pan hit for a week or so. Yeah. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings that I could find, all I could find was uh, 60 Minutes, so everyone was definitely watching the news that week. Okay. Uh, for whatever reason. In video games, uh, about a month or so before this, uh, saw the release of Street Fighter 2. That was a hu- yeah, huge I, one in the franchise. I, I want to say it might have been one of the biggest ones. I think there are even like still fighting tournaments that they do now uh, with Street Fighter 2. Very popular game. The New York Times bestseller was a book called Heartbeat by Danielle Steele. And my fun fact for 1991, I don't know why I've always found this fascinating. I'm not a golfer. 
I don't mind golf. Obviously, you're not a golfer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what is that from? Uh, some some movie. I don't even okay. remember what movie. Obviously, he's not a golfer. I don't remember. Why the hell is I, I? I quote things and I don't even remember what they're from. But I do remember when Galloway released the Big Bertha Club. And uh, that, that was, was yes. Everybody went apeshit for that thing. Yes, and that was released in uh, 1991. So I thought that was a fun fact to throw in, even though I'm Big like, Lebowski. Okay, Big Lebowski. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that was from. Uh, delayed reaction, but it came to me. There you go. And that was 1991. All right. Sorry for. That, uh, <laughs> that I was everywhere on that one. Uh, but you know what? I'm excited to talk TMNT2, Secret of the Use. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Use, came out in 1991, directed by Michael Pressman. Uh, he really did a lot more TV shows later on, like episodes of Picket Fences, Grey's Anatomy, Law and & Order, and SVU, among a whole bunch of other TV shows. This is obviously the sequel to the 1990 film that John and I uh, re- uh, reviewed a long time ago, and both of us felt that one held up. Uh, kind of curious, we'll see, you guys will find out if we felt the second one. I think a lot of people make fun of the second one, and does it deserve it? Maybe. We'll talk about that. <laughs> All right, the, this movie was written by Todd Langan. Uh, he also wrote the first movie and uh, some Wonder Years episodes. Um, only a few things on his credits, but those are pretty awesome things. The cast, April O'Neil, is played by Paige Turco. Uh, that is not Judith Hogue, who played in the first film, who played April in the first movie. Uh, but Paige Turco was also in the sequel to this one, the uh, where they travel in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you ended up seeing that one. I the have. Third movie. I have. Yeah. We we yep. we took the kids during 2020. We did on a lot of movie rants, and we took the kids through a lot of uh, franchises, and this was one of them. So we did the three movies back to back okay. to back. Nice. Uh, she was also in the 100 and All My Children, among other things. Uh, Judith Hogue, apparently, I did look this up. She said she wasn't approached to reprise her role. Yeah. Apparently, uh, her and the director had like bad blood. Yeah. Or something like that. She so said some happened. stuff after the first one and he didn't like it so they didn't ask her back interesting professor perry is played by david warner uh we know him from tron he was dillinger in Mm -hmm. tron uh but he's also in titanic uh he did a voice in the spider-man animated series from the 90s so we know him donatella or michelangelo uh the person in the suit is michelin sisti he was the same one that was uh, in the suit for the first movie uh voiced by robbie wrist who is the same person who voiced michelangelo in that first movie he's also been on uh, the naruto franchise and uh really old people might remember him as the cousin oliver in the brady bunch oh okay so Donatello, the suit person, was Leif Tilden, was the same as in the first movie, uh, voiced by Adam Carl. Uh, he was in the Monster Squad. He was also uh, in the show Denver, The Last Dinosaur, among some other things for Adam okay. Carl. Uh, Raphael, suit work was done by Ken Scott. He was apparently a foot soldier in the first movie, but I guess they upgraded him. Uh, and the voice was by Laurie Faso. Uh, he was in, did voices in the 80s cartoon Transformers and also Snorks, uh, among other things. Hmm. And then Leonardo, the suit work was done by Mark Queso. Uh, he was a stunt double for Sub-Zero in the Mortal Kombat movie. And I think also in the Annihilation movie, which is not good, but 
and then other stuff as well, other kind of stunt work. Uh, voiced by Brian Tochi, who was also Leo in the the first movie, and we know him also from Revenge of the Nerds and the Police Academy franchise. Yeah. So the only voice that was different was Donatello, uh, which was yeah. originally Corey Feldman, uh, and then wasn't didn't... wasn't Raphael a different voice as well? No, uh, I thought it was a different stunt actor. I thought it was a different voice person too. Oh, maybe it is because actually Raphael, I do remember. Okay, so in the first movie, Raphael was Damn! the only one. <laughs> Raphael was the only one where the stunt person and the voice person was the same. Ah, you're right. I yeah, think it was yeah, Josh yeah. Pais or Josh. Yeah, P- is P A I S. I think I remember that correctly. So yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It was different. Okay, I guess he did a really good job of making me think it was because I'm just basing yeah. it off of my memory. But you're right. Corey Feldman was famously Donatello in that first movie, and then they did not bring him back for this one. Right. Which so you know might not necessarily be a bad thing. Yeah, I, honestly, for it, them or him, actually, it didn't bother <laughs> me one bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Splinter is again played by Kevin Clash, uh, who was again in that first one. And then also we know him famously for Elmo for many, many years. Yep. Kino was played by Ernie Reyes Jr. And we talked about him before with Red Sonia. Uh, he's also been in the the rundown and Surf Ninjas. Um, love, love Ernie Reyes yeah. Jr. Uh, real quick. So you know how like your phone just seems to know what's going on around you and you will see things that like, yeah, even listens, though you didn't yeah. say that. So this morning I saw a little Facebook post specifically about Ernie Reyes Jr. in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, all right, now the algorithm is spying on me. Yeah. But the it was it was categorically incorrect because it was stating that Ernie Reyes Jr. was the person in the suit for Donatello in the first movie. It is only partially true. He did a couple of stunts for Donatello okay. in the first movie, but yeah. he was not the main person the main in guy. the suit. Okay. Uh, the Shredder, this time played by Francis Chow. Uh, he was in the show Lost, Rescue Dawn, uh, the G.I. Joe cartoon, did a voice on that for a good few episodes as well. Tatsu was played again by Toshishiro Obata. Uh, besides the first movie, he was also in Demolition Man and The Shadow, among other things. Love the look of Tatsu. Yeah. I don't remember him from Demolition Man. I don't remember either, but it's it's probably a small part. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the budget of this film was $25 million, uh, and it made a box office of about $79 million. So that's not terrible, but also not amazing. It's fine. I can see why they kept kind of kept going in the franchise. As we kind of brought up before, this was a this was a franchise we watched a lot. Like I remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two being on a lot in our house. Like same with the original. I have a Toka and Razor toys. Like among amongst the regular, we had a lot of like the eighty the cartoon toys for turtles. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I specifically got, and I I think like I got them for a present. I got Tokar and Razor as action figures as well. Okay. So I so, yeah. I want to say we also had a Super Shredder toy. We did also have a Super Shredder. We had like that skinny Shredder at one point, uh, but then we had a Super Shredder as well. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, we we were inundated with turtles to, and turtle toys. So yeah. So yeah, this is just constantly in the in the house and and that's why we got to talk our turtles. So all right, we're going to be- begin our breakdown and we start off with kind of generic shots in New York. Everybody's eating pizza and whatnot because of course pizza go hand in hand with turtles kino we meet him he's a delivery boy and he's delivering to april again she apparently orders pizza all the time Uh, but on his way he sees this van with a bunch of stolen goods and he finds these thieves my question to him was all he sees is some van with stuff like hanging out of it how do you know that they're not being delivered there (laughs) 
valid. He there just was nothing exactly. about that scene that that immediately said that they were they were being stolen. No, other than they were vans that had open doors and a bunch of boxes of stuff in them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he investigates and he sees all these guys with pantyhose on their heads are stealing from like this mall area or whatever it is. Uh, and so he beats up a couple of them, but then a whole bunch more come out and then the turtles just come on in out the door behind him. Like they're not secret at all. Uh, and, and they save him and beat up uh, the rest of them. Uh, but they were watching him, obviously, because they were waiting for their pizza. Uh, and so that's why they followed him and all this stuff. And then you get fight scenes with comical effect, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I definitely remembered this fight scene the most. Like all okay. the little quirks and stuff they do, like Donnie with the bouncing clown. Oh, gag. yeah, exactly. That's a huge one. He has his <laughs> hand out and he's like, yeah, exactly. He, yep, and that, I don't, that was very funny. I don't know why, but that, the whole thing. Yeah. 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 That <laughs> stupid line actually just makes me laugh every time. Yeah, uh, Michelangelo gets sausage links, and he yeah. does his, his nunchucks with sausage, and he, and, he make, and he makes like sausage puns. Combat cold cuts. Combat cold cuts. <laughs> it is funny. It's it's, and not to say the the first movie didn't have its humor, but this one already kind of ups the the silly factor. I would say. Oh yeah, yeah. As I was watching it, I definitely equated the first movie to be more of the tone of the comic books mm-hmm. and the second movie to be more of the tone of the cartoon. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And I think that's probably where they were trying to go to appeal more to kids was to go totally. a little bit more of the silly cartoon over the top route. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, so uh, when Kino eventually comes to the turtles reveal to him and have him call the police and whatnot. And uh, while he does that, they sneak out. And uh, they even paid for the pizza. So he's kind of making these connections about April pizza on the turtles. So uh, April gets home. I got to call this out. Uh, some people stop her, like who leave the building. Right. Uh, one of the people who leaves the building is Susie Essman. Uh, and she's in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. Uh, she's a staple in Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, which if you haven't listened to the show, <laughs> go check out uh, Cartwright, our Patreon feed, where we talk uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm every single episode. But I, just seeing her was kind of a was a shock. Yeah. The so. other guy mm. is Michelin Sisti, the actor inside of the Michelangelo. Ah. So like like the first movie, all of the guys except for if there was one for Raph, they didn't credit him. Okay. Um uh, but the other two um I I'll go ahead and tell you who they are because they're they're kind of innocuous like you would Okay. Uh Leaf Tilden, who I think was Donatello. He just plays a foot soldier, so it, it'd be hard okay. to pick him out. Uh, Mark Queso, who does Leonardo, was a guy in the newsroom who talks to April and tells her that Donatello's calling. There isn't one for Raph, but there is one notable cameo, and I'm going to go ahead and put it because it, it's innocuous and you'll never notice it. One of the Foot Clan members about halfway through the movie, if you notice a black guy, it is Michael Jai White. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't really notice that, but okay, Michael Jai White. So Spawn himself was, yep. was part of this. Very cool. I mean, I the one that the foot soldier that stands out to me is the the thick boy. There's they kind of had a fatter <laughs> oh, foot soldier. Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's the one who uh, he kind of stood out for yeah. me. But okay, cool. April gets to her apartment. It's a mess. Uh, I do like her line though. She's like, "Oh, this place is gross." Uh, the rat is the cleanest one, right? Because uh, obviously the teenagers, uh, you know, the turtles are the are the uh, are dirty. So, um, and we see the turtles there and they're just kind of silly guys and April in general is ready for them to find the new place because as we knew in the last episode or in the last movie, they kind of, the, they run out of the sewer. The sewer got demolished, 
uh, where they were staying. So they didn't have a new place to live yet. So they were staying with April. And, you know, they give some exposition about that. And Splinter um, talks about uh, ends with with uh, Shredder's death in the garbage truck and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so th- then we- this movie definitely plays immediately after yes. the first one. Yep, yep, definitely. Uh, because uh, uh, we then see Splinter, who reminds them that, you know, hey, he always kind of trying to keep them in line and teaching them the ways of the ninja, which is to stay in the shadows and, you know, not be out in the forefront all the time. And and uh, even referencing that, you know, that they, they can't go out into the world because this world will never be ours. Uh, I think Michelangelo's like, not even pizza? Pizza is okay. <laughs> so they can have they can have their pizza. But, but then... We cut to the landfill, which I guess the the garbage truck that Shredder was compacted in in the first movie uh, got released, and he is alive. Shredder comes out. He is alive, and we even see the remnants of the Foot Clan are there. Uh, Tatsu, who is assuming leadership, but has but steps down immediately because Shredder walks in, so he is still alive. He's, he's set for revenge. So... April does a report of Techno Global Research Industries, a TGRI, uh, and we meet Professor Perry, and they kind of deal with some uh, weird radioactive material and things like that. And we see the turtles are watching this stuff and which are watching this newscast. We also later see that the uh, TGRI scientists are finding these huge mutated dandelions. Uh, so something's going on with this, uh, with whatever their company has created. Freddie, one of the guys who works with April. He uh, grabs one of these dandelions secretly and heads out, and he reports to Shredder. So he is part of the Foot Clan. He's just mm-hmm. one of those kids there at the part of the Foot Clan. And this whole dandelion thing and this uh, whatever caused it is intriguing Shredder. So the turtles clean April's apartment. We do get I'd like this little Karate Kid reference, uh, reference as Michelangelo is doing wax on, wax off. There were a lot of pop culture references in this movie. Yeah. You're right, and that it does does tie to like the cartoon and things like that. I think it, it's very fitting. Uh, April gets home, and Splinter shows them all this ooze canister, the the ooze that created them, you know, that made them the mutants that they all are. Uh, it says TGRI on it, and so now, um, you know, they have like a lead, uh, something to learn about their origins. And he's even worried though that with TGRI, the whole city might be in danger. They're going to we're going to cut to TGRI, and we see Perry is disposing of this ooze. So obviously, it's something that uh, <laughs> you know it's getting out of control, and so he's starting to, to to destroy it all. But there's one canister left, and Tatsu and the Foot Clan come in and they take it from Perry. Uh, the turtles who are going in to investigate as well come in a little too late, um, and they see that there's one left according to the computer archives. Uh, and then the Foot Clan attack. Tatsu is with the canister, and so we get a fight scene with them. And you know, it's a it's a funny. I thought this was a funny fight scene. Well, what I found most funny, I will say, is there were shots where, especially at the beginning part of it, where you see in the foreground, like one of the turtles is fighting another, and then the Foot Clan are literally just standing off in the distance, like posing. <laughs> It's not like attacking, moving their stuff around and stuff. Yeah, like they're that. moving, they're stuffing around, but they're not doing shit. And it's like, well, th- you're literally just waiting to attack one by one, right? <laughs> That's what a terrible tactic. <laughs> Whatever, it's funny, but yeah, they oh, get some comical. Sorry um, that that reminded me of one time I saw a special about Jackie Chan's fighting mm-hmm. uh, team and what they do. What they end up doing is instead of just having them sort of stand and move around, 
everyone in the background is constantly moving back and forth, left and right, up and down, forward, backwards, to create the illusion of action and movement going on all around the thing. Okay. Even though the guys in the background are really just literally just kind of like moving back and forth, but they're instead of just standing in one place and kind of like, you know, posing or or just yeah. like just moving their hand, you know, moving their arms or something like that, they're constantly shifting positions and moving around. So it creates a much busier background and makes it feel like more is actually happening in the fight than is yep. than than the the actual one-on-one which you need because the audience can really only focus on mm-hmm. The one fight at a time, one to two people at a time. It's it's not you know, the audience can't deal with that much stuff, or else it just becomes like a big crowd battle. And honestly, that makes sense. You explaining that makes total sense to me, because yeah, Jackie Chan's fight scenes are some of my absolute favorite. Yeah, but it, you're right; it does feel like he is being surrounded at all times. Of things are going on, um, and it's always hectic, but in a fun way. But you're still able to follow it, so that makes yeah. total sense. I like that. Yeah. All right. So uh, there's some comical back and forth with, you know, who is holding the ooze canister and all this kind of stuff. And then ultimately Tatsu does a ninja vanish and they get away with it. Ninja vanish. Back at the apartment, Kino delivers some pizza, just walks on into the apartment. He's obviously looking for the turtles or something. He's put two uh, and two together. April just lets him waltz on in, which I'm surprised, like. Uh, that yeah. you're that's you were not invited in sir you just watched no. walked in she was being way too accommodating yeah uh, or something so she I, I agreed <laughs> he pushed himself in a little too hard um but they're all hiding but they're not hiding too well as kino finds a foot and he stomps on it and it's raf's foot of course i do love how raf's like oh let me at him let me beat him up uh but they all have to hold him back and <laughs> splinter comes in and i find it funny because they did this trope i think multiple times in this movie and also did in the first movie People don't pass out at seeing the turtles, right? But once they see the giant rat, they all faint. <laughs> well, nobody like the first <laughs> nobody sees turtles as a threat, really. <laughs> I guess I guess not. Yeah, it's Splinter is the one that freaks them out. So, but yeah, so he uh, he, he faints, but then he comes back to and Splinter explains, you know, their origins and all that stuff to him. And Kino, he's like, you know, he's we've seen him. He's um he's got some martial arts background, and he's he's good at it. I do want to say Ernie Reyes Jr.'s kicks are oh, yeah. beautiful. <laughs> it's weird as to say he has a great form and mm-hmm. and really knew how to kind of like pose his kicks for the camera. He was really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, he wants to be like a double agent, you know, so he could infiltrate the foot um, and report back to the turtles. But Splinter shoots it down. It's too dangerous. Meanwhile, Shredder gets two vicious animals, the most vicious animals they can find, mutates them with the help of the kidnapped Professor Perry to make it so that way the next fight can be freak against freak. That's his plan. Uh, Meanwhile, the turtles hunt for a new place to live and they stumble across this old subway station. Oh, and it seems perfect. So we'll get more into that. And then uh, we get a little scene at uh, at the news station. We get a cameo from the director. Uh, Michael Pressman, he plays the news manager, so he uh, does a cameo as well. But Donatello calls April, and we find out that kind of Raph is missing. So we don't know where he's at. And then we see that the new mutants are ready, and we meet Toka and Razor. Uh, one's a snapping turtle, and one is like a wolf. 
I guess. And those were the two vic- most vicious animals they could find. The most vicious animals they could find. Um, now, snapping turtles, though, John, those are, I actually just saw some at the uh, Georgia Aquarium. Uh-huh. Like, big ones, they look freaky. I mean, they can well, take your hand That's off. the thing. Like, snapping turtles are dangerous in that if you are not aware of one, like, if, in the water or something like that, those guys, they yeah. can literally snap your limbs off. They have powerful jaws. Yeah. Vicious, though. Yeah, well, eh. yeah. And it's the the fact is that they got baby ones, uh, and we really know that they got baby ones because Shredder starts to give them some uh, you know some commands, and they're like, "Mama, Mama, They call him Mama. It's hilarious and adorable. They're babies. I mean, you brought me babies. Could you not tell when they brought you the animals that they were babies? Yeah, you would think that. <laughs> you would think that. Um, and of course, uh, one of the guys that we have mentioned the most on this podcast, Frank Welker, is the man who provided the voices for Toka and Razar. Yes. All right. So Shredder, of course, is upset about all that, but they have their benefits too, because even though they may not be the smartest, uh, they have a lot of strength. So the mut- the mutagen has definitely worked its magic that way. Kino does work in infiltrating the Foot Clan uh, with Raph, who is helping him do that. So that's where Raph went. So he's going to kind of not listen to Splinter and go do this with Kino. And we see Kino kind of going through the different stages to get into the Foot Clan. And I always like the little scene of he has to, one of his final tests is he has to take these bells without making a sound off of this mannequin. Um, but they do smoke, and Raph is obviously the one who does it all, and they're all impressed by it. Tatsu then finds Raph talking to Kino. They just get found out very quickly, and that's kind of annoys me. But uh, then a fight begins because of that. And so we get Raph and then Kino fighting some of the Foot Clan, uh, tells Kino to escape and tell the others. Um, and then Raph sees Shredder. And ends up getting caught, and he gets uh, he gets kidnapped and, and captured by them. Uh, but Kino is able to get to April and the other guys, uh, so the turtles have to go rescue Raph. But of course, it's a trap, <laughs> uh, and so they get caught up in a net, and they're about to be dropped on these sharp objects. But Splinter is able to shoot them down with a cowabunga uh, and a little <laughs> arrow, bow and arrow that he's got. So another, and then we get another comical fight scene as they all start fighting around with the Foot Clan, and then. The secret weapons of Tokar and Razar come out and, you know, they have to fight them and they're struggling against these big, strong, bestial animals. Donnie at one point gets thrown into where the Professor Perry is. And so he kind of can get him out, try to get his help on stuff. You know, I always wondered when I was a kid, like, why why didn't they use Bebop and Rocksteady? Because that's what we knew. And originally they did want to use Bebop and Rocksteady. Because and they were trying to make this closer to the cartoon because the cartoon was the thing that was making money, and yeah. of course the studio wants to make money, but who did not want to use them were Eastman and Laird, the creators of, of huh. the original. Th- and so then actually they didn't even want Shredder in this movie, but huh. uh, the, the studio basically had the last word on that. And was like no 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 we're we're we need to bring Shredder back because we need to make money on this. Yeah. And so he, they, but apparently they were, they, they, Eastman and Laird did not like the cartoon and it is not a secret because mm. um, mm-hmm. it was, it was made too comical. 
I understand it, but at the same time, I have a lot of love for that cartoon. And as, as a kid, yep. it hit me right at the right age. So yep. honestly, Eastman and Laird, uh, just fucking take your check. All right? <laughs> take your goddamn check and let me have my happiness. Um, it, yeah, it, it would have been better to have Bebop and Rocksteady instead yeah. of Tokar and Razor. But I agree. He did, they, didn't, they fought against it, so they created Tokar and Razor for the, for the movie. Okay. Yeah, yours is a little smudgy for some reason or a little off, but okay, that that makes sense. That, that it is disappointing though, but I get it, I guess. Anyway, while they're while they're in this fight, Mikey finds a sewer grate uh, so they can escape, and they bring Professor Perry with them. And Razor is too wide to go down and get stuck, and ha ha ha, comical. But anyway, so they're able to escape through the sewers, and Perry explains this accident, a uh, lab accident that happened 15 years ago, and that must have been what caused. Uh, the ooze to get out and and spread to the turtles, and that the, they're all a little sad here because they thought that they were special. You know, they thought there was some kind of divine intervention as to what, as to why they are what they are. Um, you know, it brought them the ooze and why they were created. But it was just they were just accidents, John. And that kind of hits them hard. So Shredder takes Tokar and Razor into the city to wreak havoc. He's obviously trying to cause a, a ruckus and um, cause mayhem, so that way uh, to draw the turtles out. Uh, which the damage does get the attention of the police chief and the nice little short scene of the same police chief that we saw in the first movie and mm-hmm. came back for this scene. April is also, you know, talking to him. She can't give him all the information that she knows. Uh, and she ends up getting grabbed by the foot because uh, it's Freddy, her coworker there, because he wants to give a message to the turtles. The turtles are forced to go out uh, into the town to help avoid. They don't want people to get hurt by Tokar and Razar. Uh, so they go out, but the uh, professor has an idea and he creates a mixture. And so he works with Donnie on like they kind of, you know, rework the mutagen or, you know, the, the, to make an anti-mutagen that will hopefully stop Toka and Razor and just some comical stuff. But ingestion is the only way to do it. Mikey has an idea. They go out to where Shredder told them to be. And Mikey brings some donuts. Some num nums, if you will. Num nums. Oh, yes. Num nums. Numbers. And he gives them to Tokar and Razar, who eat one of them each and whatnot. And there's a little comical bit, you know, just funny, silly stuff where they're eating the donuts and then. Then they f- eventually then they break one open and find the anti mutagen in there, uh, and then they fight and all this kind of stuff. And um, eventually, you know, they they're fighting and they end up busting into a nightclub. And we get one of the other greatest cameos <laughs> in this uh, is we see Vanilla Ice is performing at this club, and he impromptu creates this one of the greatest songs of all time. <laughs> uh, he brings up Ninja Rap. And it's awesome. And you know what? It's just so cheesy and it's just so timely. It's so 1991. It absolutely is. It's like, and it's so ant- cheesily bad. It's good. It is. You know what? And watching it now, you know, we're, we're at that stage where Vanilla Ice, he was super cool at the time and then he got super cringe. And then now, not to say he's super cool again, but you can like, you know what? You can go back and look at it and like love those days. And so going back and seeing him, seeing it now, you're like, okay, that's good stuff. 
and the, we also see that the anti-mutagen is is slowly working and they're having to they're burping and it's kind of slowing down what they're supposed to be going on so they have to use fire extinguishers to reintroduce carbon dioxide to help speed up this uh process this anti-mutagen process so splinter tries to teach meditation to kino but he just wants to fight so he leaves so we see him going to be coming into the fights to uh whatnot and the turtles do use those extinguishers on the on them and so we get that we see the little baby tokar razar the snapping turtle and uh, a little wolf and whatnot uh and they fight the foot clan to the music and whatnot and they end up i always a shot i liked a shot from up top where you have tatsu and they all end up spinning their shells and they oh, kind of yeah. crush him yeah with all i always like that shot that was a good shot so yep so shredder has to come out then and he's you know he's pissed kino then gets there uh they're all again they're all like in this dance area they're at the, they're on the stage by this point um <laughs> or in this area kino comes out and he kicks he literally just comes up to Shredder, does a roundhouse kick, and kicks the ooze from his hand. Uh, you know, not very good reaction skills from Shredder, but whatever. Which goes straight to the professor, and he is able to get it. Um, but Shredder still has a small dose with him. So they end up fighting. They end up turning up the amps super loud, and they blast Shredder with a huge blast of music that shoots him away, uh, and he gets blasted. Then they are kind of like get shot into this dock area. Uh, or they're under under I guess uh, it's like it's like they're under a dock or whatever it is under a boardwalk yeah, almost some sort of dock yeah something like that and they see that Shredder must have taken the ooze himself when he got blasted away and so now he's not just regular Shredder he's super Shredder and he's big and he's jacked and he looks you know even it changed even his clothes which I thought <laughs> was pretty wild. And another bit of obvious, I mean, I, th- I call it obvious trivia. Maybe people don't know this, right. but the, the guy, you tell us, John, who played, who was, who was the, the man that was Super Shredder. Uh, I forget what his, did he have a professional wrestling name? Uh, Diesel. He went by Diesel for a while or, um, yeah, like that was his, that was kind of like his big one, but yeah. he uh, just went kind of by his main name. Uh, that was the wrestler Kevin Nash. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Kevin Nash. I think he's went by like Big Daddy or something like that for a while too. Oh, okay. Uh something like that. But yeah, Diesel was kind of his main alter ego. Uh part of the Outsiders, if that helps as well. He helped found NWO. If okay. that, all of that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so that I means go on. nothing to me. Nothing to you, I know, but <laughs> anyway. So one of my least favorite parts about this movie, I will say right now, is Super Shredder is so angry and he's under like these this dock and these beams and he just gets so angry he's knocking all of these beams down and it ends up collapsing like the building on top of him and the turtles are able to jump into the water uh and so they can save themselves that way but super shredder just ends up killing himself super like the second we got super shredder we lost super shredder yeah because he just got so angry or whatever and he, he toppled this building on top of him we didn't actually get to see i wanted to see him dominate a fight against the turtles and then them have to overcome him but instead he just immediately the second we got him he's like ah he just <laughs> breaks shit and then he dies and, you know his arm comes up for a second and then it falls yeah so like they didn't even beat him he beat himself yeah i never liked that no um but whatever he's dead now and we, <laughs> we get a, a news report of april kind of thanking the turtles and all this kind of stuff and yay cowabunga uh splinter has the newspaper and it says you know ninja rap is born Go ninja, go ninja, go! I made another funny. Haha, <laughs> he made another funny, like he made a funny in the first movie. And that is the end of the film, and we get uh, eh, a not so good song called uh, "Awesome" by Wide Kid K. Green and keep 
as the credits roll. Keep cool the boat and room. Don't mess up, act no fool. Wanna know where they coming from? Teenage turtles are So that is our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 very quick scene breakdown. But like, you know, the action stuff, we can't, you know, mm-hmm. there are multiple action comedy spot spits uh, parts. You just kind of fly through those. Right. But um, rewatching it, John, and you said you saw it, you showed it to your kids. So they have seen this franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, how does it live up to you uh, watching it now at over 40? And, you know, what did your kids think about it? Um, I have to remember because it was like three years ago when we showed them the film. I can't, honest, my honest answer is I can't remember what their reaction was. Okay. To this one, so I apologize for that. I can, but I rewatched this yesterday, so I don't remember what mine was. I found the pacing to be a bit quick, and that mm. wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it was like a hundred, or sorry, it was like an hour twenty something minutes. Yeah, I think, or something. And like that. it felt like it moved pretty quickly, and not necessarily in a bad way. It just got us from one, you know, one thing to another. Yeah. Fine. Here's my problem with this, and 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 the thing is, I'm looking at this with 42 year old eyes at this moment, <laughs> not with 10, 11 year old eyes, which would have been mm-hmm. when this came out. In the interest of appeasing parents who complained that the turtle, the first movie was too violent, they made a lot of changes to this one. One, they took away Casey Jones because I thought Casey Jones was too violent. Yeah, it was a real shame not having Casey. It didn't make any sense. No. You know, where did he go? Two, the turtles hardly ever use their weapons the entire movie. It is mostly just hand-to-hand fighting. To me, part of the appeal of the turtles is their each unique weapons. I think we see Donnie use the staff because it seems like the less threatening one because it's not a blade, but we hardly ever see Leo or Raph use their their size and, and swords and even... Michelangelo hardly uses his nunchucks. Um, the most nunchucking I feel like we get is with was with the sausages. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's very disappointing because it you know it was at a time when when parents thought that violent movies were going to cause violent children, and no, it's going to cause childrens to like maybe play around a little bit, and maybe you know do yeah. a few stupid things, but not it's not going to create criminals. Like parents in the 80s and 90s were stupid. Yeah, except ours, they were awesome. <laughs> yeah, we had great parents. I kind of knew. I was like, all right, it's going to be cheesy. Maybe I'll secretly like it. I'll be honest. I really didn't like it this time. I miss the the weapons. I miss the darkness of the first one. Mm. I preferred that. And I think even as a kid, I actually preferred the the kind of the darker one. So for me, it did not hold up. I don't really see myself wanting to go rewatch this one again. Unless I'm having to like do a whole franchise walkthrough again or something like that, but honestly, mm. I, I'd rather just stick with the first one. Um, I like the darker tone. Okay. I like the violence. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I didn't even really think about that kind of stuff watching this movie. But you're you're right. Um, I it is sad that they didn't use their their weapons at all and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the movie's got some more cringy comedy stuff. Um, And I would say, yeah, there's a depth and a darkness in that first one that is missed. But I am actually kind of on the other side. I really enjoyed it. I I think there was a lot of nostalgic value for me in this one. And I found myself really having a good time. It's dumb fun. Um, I thought the comedy worked for me still. You're right. The pacing, like the, the, it's a perfect, like 90 minute movie, like get in, get out and enjoy. 
And I'd say I felt like it was still very good for kids and it would be a good one to even, you know, follow up with the first movie. And it's, it's worth I did miss Casey. I missed Casey. I missed the, the weapons, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I also enjoyed it. I thought it was, was a fun movie, if not, you know, perfect for its time. But I still think it's pretty damn good. And if you enjoyed it as a kid, because you said back in the day, you even preferred the first one. I might have said I preferred the second one as a as a kid. I can see that. It is very and it's very kid oriented, but I liked it. You know, it's not until that third one where things get really crappy and really just uh, not a good movie. This one I still think is damn fun. So it gets my recommendation. Okay. All right, now we're moving on to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The 2003 show, it was on from 2003 to 2009, seven seasons, 155 episodes. And the first six seasons of those aired on Fox with the last season on CW. So this was, again, obviously based on the TMNT comics from Eastman and Laird. And it was developed by by Lloyd Goldfine. Uh, He created the Max Steel cartoon franchise. He also worked on Yu-Gi-Oh! and some other stuff as well. And this is a franchise I watched maybe a tiny bit. I didn't watch much of this. I was uh, in high school. Mm -hmm. I was in late, late high school by the time this came out. And so I knew it was a thing, but it was, you know, more for kids, I felt. And it wasn't really for me. So I really knew of it, but it wasn't a super nostalgic thing. But this was, I mean, it lasted for seven seasons. This was a pretty solid show for a lot of kids. Yeah. And I had actually never seen this. Um, I was deep into college uh, at this yeah. time so i wasn't watching too many cartoons there were a couple i kind of watched on regular regularly uh most of those being like futurama or yeah or uh, family, family guy, guy or, or something like that like yeah that. yeah um but i yeah i was aware of it but i never i never saw us this was my first time actually watching any of the episodes okay uh all right so uh the cast of this one uh leonardo is voiced by michael sintern Saturnic class. Uh, I, I, I know I butchered that one. Uh, he also did a voice on Venture Brothers and multiple anime properties and video game franchises. Uh, Michelangelo is voiced by Wayne Grayson. Uh, he was uh, the character of Joey in the Yu-Gi-Oh franchise and other voices from the Yu-Gi-Oh franchise. He was on Octonauts. Plenty of credits from him. Uh, Raphael is played by Gregory Abbey, also in the Yu-Gi-Oh franchise and plenty of other credits. Uh, Donatello voiced by Sam Regal. Uh, nearly 400 credits for Sam Regal at this time. Um, lots of video games, cartoons, and the Naruto franchise. Splinter is voiced by Darren Dunstan. Uh, he was on Sonic X, uh, voiced Pegasus in the Yu-Gi-Oh! show, uh, and also got into voice directing. Can tell did a lot of voice directing down the line. Casey Jones was voiced by Mark Thompson. Uh, tons of Pokemon episodes, and then I didn't really recognize the characters, but just tons, like 400-something Pokemon episodes. Uh, the Jungle Book show and also Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise. Uh, and then April O'Neil was voiced by Veronica Taylor, who a lot of people would recognize as the voice of Ash Ketchum in Pokemon. Oh, okay. Uh, as well as Sailor Pluto in the Sailor Moon franchise and a whole bunch of other stuff. A weird change in this one. I didn't understand the shift, but April in this show was not a reporter. She was a scientist. She worked for Baxter Stevenson or Baxter, whatever that guy's name is, the the one of the villains. Oh, yeah. She In like the early episodes and then kind of went off and started to run like an antique shop, but I don't know why they took her out of her reporting duty. Like to me, her being a reporter is like 
as iconic as a yellow jumpsuit. Right. As iconic as, <laughs> you know, and I wouldn't say necessarily iconic as the red hair, but the red hair is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just felt it kind of strange. Yeah. So. It was a little odd. Uh, animation was by the Korean studio uh, Dong Woo Animation. They've also done shows like um, Yu-Gi-Oh, Justice League, and Unlimited, the uh, Men in Black cartoon, Ben 10. Did they do, because uh, the the animation reminded me a lot of Jackie Chan Adventures. They also okay. did Jackie Chan Adventures. Okay. Yep. That was in, yeah, that was on the list as well. So, yep, yep, very similar. Um, and so this show was a bit darker uh, with a little bit more emphasis on the actions. You could tell, like, even just the animation style was darker. Um, the tone was still comical, still for, like, kids. But it was it was more so, I would say, oriented towards, like, like the, the preteen and early teen kids than it was, like, the younger kids, which, like, the, the 80s cartoon was, was towards. Well, apparently, like, the whole beginning of of the series being created was mirage studios going coming to uh, whoever and saying okay. they wanted to do another turtles one more in the style of the comic than in okay. the original cartoon um okay. i don't know how much I, I, input mirage really had over this but apparently the whole beginning of this was mirage studios i don't know if i don't know if, P, if uh, eastman and laird were really involved as much in this one as because Mirage Studios at that point owned the rights, because um, mm-hmm. they're the the comic studio that released them. But uh, yeah, that was the whole originality of it. Okay, yeah, and you can kind of see that. Yeah, unlike the older cartoon show, uh, and maybe more like the comic, of course, or any other kind of series, it, the storylines actually flowed from one episode to another. Yeah, like you paid. There was an actual narrative of things going on. And so they could connect from show to show. And it wasn't like a villain of the week or like adventure of the week or here's a silly little thing, that, which is the show we grew up on. Right. For sure. But also, this was like 15 years later. And I think yes. they were able to give their audience a little bit more credit. And if they were shooting for an older audience, I think they knew uh, old, like older, you know, early teens other than just like little yeah. kids that they were going to need something more than just a villain of the week. Yep, yep, I agree with that. The show certainly has an early to mid-2000s feel to me, mm-hmm. like the look of that animation, again, because it it did remind me of the Men in Black cartoon and Jackie Chan Adventures, and like those are, it just fit in that world at that time. Uh, the music that was played was very much, it felt very much like that early 2000s. I will say, the animation actually didn't bother me at all. The music, I did feel kind of took me out a little bit. I agree. Actually, it, it, it felt distracting at times. Yeah, the animation was solid, but the music was a little bit distracting. And the theme song, it was okay. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! Turtles counting on one, two, three, four, turtles! Mutant chain reactions! Turtles! Living underground! Turtles! It's a wash! Turtles! It's a shell of a town! I, I didn't like the theme song at all. Okay, it, it felt very 2000s. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. It's not special. It's not great like the like the other cartoon theme song, but it's fine. Absolutely fine. So, uh, and then um, at the end of the series run, they had a movie, a made-for-TV movie called 
Turtles Forever that came out in 2009, and it serves as a kind of a four-part finale to the series. And it centers actually around the Turtles encountering the 1987 animated counterparts. They kind of have this like almost like a multiverse thing, I guess, who they accidentally get transported to their to their reality. So that's kind of cool. And I think they actually brought back the original voice actors, so like Rob Paulson and and other people were were in on that on that episode. That's all I've got. I mean, I don't really have much depth into this one. I mean, it's the turtles. You're going to get like all those, you know, you're going to get Shredder. Shredder definitely looked more badass. The animation style things were definitely geared up to like that mm-hmm. aiming for like, you know, 12 year old boys. It seemed like, you know, maybe like that eight to eight to 14 range or something where, you know, everybody looked a little bit more dangerous. You know, things were a little bit sharper, um, a little bit darker. Uh, but, yeah, you got that. You get the Mausers. The Mausers were a big part of the, at least in the early episodes that I watched. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you got all those characters. Krang, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like those classic characters. I think the Mausers were originally, like, from, like, literally the second issue of the mm-hmm. original comic. So I think they, okay, I think so they yeah, drew so the, so from the really comic a lot more than the original TV okay. show did. And that makes sense. So, uh I ended up watching probably like three episodes because I just three or four, honestly, but it's because I had it on just kind of while I was doing a lot of other prep. I was just writing and and researching while it was on in the background so I could kind of watch it. And my thoughts, it's fine. Uh, It's it's not great. It's not one I feel like I'm going to go back and watch. I didn't think that the style of the show was so interesting and so kind of geared towards, you know, more adult oriented viewers that I needed to watch it. But it didn't offend me. I will say the show didn't offend me at all. And I could totally see, you know, it it fits that group of like, if you really love the Turtles from the 80s series, that is for the younger kids. And if you want to upgrade them, you know, make them give them a little bit more depth and maybe a little bit more, you know, yeah, just just a little bit more violence or a little (laughs) bit more. I don't know. It's it's something for for slightly older kids. And I do think it works. It's just not really for me now. And and it wasn't one that I really loved, but I I can see its value. Yeah, I watched um, about two episodes. It was more like one and three quarters. And it wasn't it wasn't that I found it to be a bad I was just like you I was I watched the first episode and then I was kind of like started doing something else while the second one was running and I had the same thought it was fine there was nothing inherently like horrible about it and you know there wasn't anything that really grabbed me either but you know it was an adequate turtles adaptation Mm -hmm. so I was I was totally fine with that yeah and I'm curious um, have you seen the trailers for was it mutant mayhem the new one yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of interested in going in it. The only thing that's kind of bugging me, I really am not digging on Jackie Chan as Splinter. Yeah, for some reason that's that's not really. I feel like his voice doesn't lend himself to that very well. Not that I think that he's a bad voice actor or anything. I just don't think the voice jives with the character to me. I agree with you actually. I, I, I he sounds so Jackie Chan to me. I'm, I'm having trouble putting him as Splinter. Right. And honestly, there's something I'm not loving the animation style uh, on it. Um, what I've seen, but m- maybe I'll get used to it. I'm 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 willing to give it a shot. They've clearly they've clearly focused them as more being like young teenagers. Teenage, yeah. And teenager, you know what? Yeah. That's a do- that's a new take. And I'm I'm yeah. interested to see what they do with it. I think my kids, or at least my son, is interested in seeing it. So I'll probably take him to go see it at some point, and sure. I'll report back. I'll see what I thought of it. Yeah. Uh, you're right. They have always kind of emphasized the mutant ninja and turtle aspect, but the teenager side does almost always get 
overshadowed. I mean, yeah, they're kind of silly, but like these ones look like legit yeah, teenagers. And the thing is, is very, very few of the iterations do I ever feel like they're actually teenagers. Like yeah. at best, in most cases, I feel like they're in their either late teens or like early 20s, even yeah. though they're supposed to be like 15, 16 years old. Here, at least yeah. they've, like, they've, they may have gone too far in the other direction, but you know what? At least it's something different. Yeah, I agree with that. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... When heroes in a half show are making a surprise, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Pie! Fresh from the sewers to you! Their minds are delicious, you know that's true, because they're filled with mutagen goo! Godzilla pudding goo! They've got the tastiest, flakiest, greatest crust! Even better than our pizza! And it's free! Like us! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Pie! Fresh from the sewers to you! All right, now as we mentioned at the top, we are going to be doing a fan casting of a, a graphic novel or a, a comic series. It was a four, four-issue comic series, I believe. Uh, five. Five, have, yeah, five issues. Uh, five issue called uh, TMNT or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm just too lazy to say the whole thing. Uh, the Last Ronin. Now, Adam, you specifically put this on here. Now, I remember when the comic came out because I actually specifically grabbed it, and I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember I was ticked because I asked them, I asked my comic book store to put that on the pull list for me, and then they uh-huh. never pulled any of the other issues for me. So I ended up, yeah, I ended up having to wait till the whole thing came out to to grab, uh, to grab the whole thing. I'm gonna let you kind of describe the story. Let's try to do like a spoiler-free review as best you can. Some things are gonna have to be spoiled. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, I, all right. Yeah, I guess you can't do it. Uh, just you know, if you've never, if you have any interest in it and not being spoiled, then go read it. Pause this. Go read it and come back. And I don't think I don't think it really spoils it too much. And I, I'm assuming you're talking about who is the last. Yeah, person. and that I mean honestly, that was the mystery of the whole thing leading up to the release of this, and then you find out at the uh-huh. end of the first issue anyway. Yeah, you do. You find out, it's so spoiler alert: the last Ronin, the last turtle alive is Michelangelo, and honestly, they picked the best choice for that. I I agree. I and the whole time because they they don't give you a lot of clues. Yeah. Leading up to the end, because the Ronin is using everyone's weapons, mm-hmm. and the, he's kind of gristled, so he could be Raphael, um, but he makes a few quips. So like, like they kind of, they kind of make it innocuous until you get to the very end, and April says his name, and then you're like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. So yeah, it's my and it it fits so well because Mikey was always the silliest of the group, right? And seeing the most lighthearted turtle turn into this absolute gristled broken down last alive one of the bunch who who just honestly is not quite mentally stable who is just so set on revenge you know it, it is it makes it for such an interesting dichotomy but from the character that you knew especially growing up yeah um yeah apparently this was an unused idea by Eastman and Laird for the Mirage comics but then they eventually made it happen yeah in 2022 uh sorry in 2020 
so yeah, so the the plot basically tells the story of in the future, much older uh, Michelangelo is the only one left, and he's standing against the Foot Clan, which is uh, and the Foot Clan is trying to obviously conquest uh, of, of new, over New York. It's led by. Uh, a new shredder, if you will, but his name is uh, Oroko Hirotu, who is the grandson of the original shredder, Oroko Saki. So um, that's the basics. But some of the great stuff with this with this comic book is Mikey in the last Ronin. He's he's a little bit delusional. Now you see him. There are specifically scenes where you see him talking to his brothers, like he's talking to almost the ghosts of his brothers, mm-hmm. but they're all obviously in his mind. Uh, we get some flashbacks, so we are going to cast some other people, like Casey Jones, who spoiler alert is dead by this time. You know, by the actual like you know the narrative timeline. Um, but you see some, you see Shredder as well, or sorry, uh, Splinter as well. So you're getting some of these characters in flashbacks, but. As of, like, the main timeline, there's only really five characters. I added uh, Baxter Stockman um, because he is kind of the one who was integrated. He's almost like Cyborg um, mm-hmm. at one point, you know, but he, he they're all looking for, uh, sorry, that he's all part of it. Kind of New York is almost split in half between Shredder's territory and Baxter's territory. But, like, Baxter's the one who created the Mausers and all this right. kind of stuff. I just I remember reading this comic and loving it, mm-hmm. and you know, a John John's a fan of it as well. Anybody out there who was a Turtles fan, even if you didn't like, if you never read the comics, I never read a single Turtles comic before this that I remember of. Mm-hmm. But I liked the Turtles as a property, and if you like comics at all, I want to highly recommend the Last Ronin. It was one of the best series short series of, of of comics that i had read you know it's a short story arc that i've read in a long time and it's got it's it's got a definitive end so it's not like mm-hmm. if you start if you read this you're gonna oh, yeah. you're gonna want to keep it. it's got a it's got a good solid arc all the way through and, and it does so just buy the buy the trade paperback or, or the, the hardback or whatever yeah. and then you'll be happy with that you, you don't need to keep going yeah. uh, all right so we are going to do michelangelo oroku hirotu Casey Marie Jones, April O'Neil, and then for flashbacks um, and kind of the stuff he sees in his head, we'll do Splinter, Leonardo, Raphael Donatello, Casey Jones, and we added Baxter Stockman. So, uh, Adam, before we start talking about our cast, how do you envision your... Is this a movie or is this a TV show? Are you doing this as a series? Yeah, for me, this is a movie. I'm not making a TV show. I think this needs to be a confined as you just kind of brought up it's a confined story okay and so i'm gonna probably yeah try to stick it pretty close it's going to be dark it's probably going to be rated r mainly for violence and and whatnot you know there might be some fail language or whatnot maybe i'll throw in a turtle sex scene i don't know we'll see um but (laughs) but this is going to be what is this howard the duck yeah this is going to be a legit like you know adaptation i'm not planning i am planning a live action show okay uh, I saw this more as a limited run uh, okay. live action. I want to go dark, so I, well, you know, HBO, whoever owns it at the point, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but probably no more than like six to eight episodes. But like a definitive okay. limit, like this is a what we would call a mini series, where it is got a def- it's got a definitive end. It's not going to go on to a sure. season two. It's a one season run. So limited series, whatever you want to call it. I think Nickelodeon owns the rights to turn it so into Paramount, right now, which means Paramount. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put it on Paramount. That's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, so let's start with Baxter Stockman. And Adam, you can start us off. Sure. Yeah. So Baxter Stockman um, is a scientist who's evil. Works with uh, you know Shredder and other stuff too. I went with an actor who I don't think he's acted actually in a while. But damn it, John, he's gonna come back for me. Uh, I don't know why he stopped acting. Um, his last credit was in 2006, uh, and he just did a voice on that one. So I really don't know what he would do. But I, you know what? I really liked him on a show that I think I'm going to be getting started soon, which is Star Trek Deep Space Nine, because I really liked it. I'm having Avery Brooks as my Baxter stock. That is a, a lofty goal. I'm I'm all for it. Avery Brooks yeah. is a fantastic uh, actor, and I, I, I'm, I will admit, I'm most excited to see if you go through going through Deep Space Mind because I really do think that mm-hmm. that is, of all of the series, yeah. that's going to be the one that you can get into the most. I like that call. I don't know if he, if he would come back, but especially for something like this. But yeah. if <laughs> if you yeah. can get him, it'd be awesome. If- if they didn't bring him back for Picard, it'd be hard, you know, that he'd be able to come back for something totally different. Right. All right. So I went with an actor who I've used before and we've seen in quite a few things, but I think he adds a lot of flavor and flair to the characters he plays. And it'd be fun to have him give him kind of like a mad scientist, cyborgy type role. I went with Jumon Hansu. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd be the guy. The guy is a damn good actor, and he's also really good using having to do makeup yeah. or other stuff like that. He's done that kind of stuff before, um, and so then this character is kind of like has like some cyborg elements to him. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, I could see that. I could see that working really well. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, so before we go on, I'm going to ask you: When you casted your turtles, are you thinking voice, or are you thinking actor in a suit? Are you thinking um, motion capture? What are you thinking? I'm. I didn't like the look of the Michael Bay turtles. I think they just look stupid, but I think... You didn't like the lips? <laughs> I didn't like the lips. I didn't like the nostrils or uh, everything. Right. Everything looks stupid. But I do think that's probably the route I would have to go is some kind of either like motion capture or yeah, suits or enhanced suits with, with CGI or something like that. So that's how it's going to probably be for me. I don't. I wouldn't go a full robotic suit like they did in the 90s. I think I've got to, you've, for, for some of the fight scenes and some of the stuff, now granted, some of the fight scenes that these tur- guys did in suits was incredible. Yeah. Like I, I've thrown like some of their, some of their weapon work and I specifically want to call out like, you know, the Michelangelo nunchuck stuff in both the first movie and even the second movie. It's impressive what they can yeah, do. Yeah, especially with just the three fingers that they were allowed to use in the Yeah. Suit. But I think I'm going to have to have to make it kind of similar style as the Michael Bay stuff, but I'm just going to do it better okay. and make them look less shitty. I'm going back to the roots and if if okay. I'm going to, I'm getting I'm getting Henson involved. I'm getting the the creature shop involved. Okay. Um for as much stuff and kind of like what they did for the sort of Dark Crystal show. I'm going to mostly use the puppets and then enhance with CGI for okay. certain elements that you need to. Um, and, okay. and, or maybe, no, yeah, or maybe what I'll do is kind of what they did for Deadpool, where when he was in the suit, they actually removed, you could actually see his eyes, and they used his okay. eyes to 
as to create reactions in the yeah. suit. So maybe I'll do the same thing where whatever the actor's reactions are in the suit. Now, I when I cast in mine, I'm thinking voice. I'm not thinking person in that's, the suit. That's yes, I went to voice as well. That's that's my main. Okay. Thing. Uh, all right. Well, let's go to Casey Jones, and I'll give you mine. Um, I changed up Casey Jones just a little bit because I because I wanted to because why the hell not? I had to now. The thing is, is that with April and Michael Michelangelo, I thought older because this is farther along in the timeline. For the flashbacks, yes. I tended to go a little bit younger, just to make it really feel like it is a flashback, even though it probably yeah, I, even I, though it was probably only like ten years or something like that. But I still wanted to make that yeah. distinction. Uh, so I went with John David Washington. Oh yeah, I love him as an actor. I could totally see him do that role. I still need to see Tenet really badly. I mm-hmm. uh, love Christopher Nolan films, so I'm sure I would appreciate it. I like that call. I think um, I think my guy is maybe about the same age, but I think that's a good call, and I, I want to see him in a lot more stuff in general. Cool. All right, who did yeah. you pick? I stuck to kind of a classic look for most for now for for pretty much all of mine. Um, for what I kind of what I saw in the comic is what I put to my screen basically my case jones is he's right around our age i think he's uh, 81 born in 81 and he i think he's got a casey jones look to him i've seen him be badass in some things you actually i think cast him pretty recently but i don't care oh, sure. um, if he works he, he works in huh if he works he works it works it works exactly he was in the chronicles of narnia franchise but i actually know him best from the punisher netflix show i went with ben barnes okay as my case yeah jones. he's got a great casey jones look he can yeah. he can he can act violent and crazy, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, cool! I like that. Uh, all right, Donatello. Who did you pick for the voice of your Donatello? Uh, so Donatello always you know going to have a slightly nerdier sound to him, just a hint of that. Uh, and again, I even though it wasn't all that much younger, I did I went with a little older for my Michelangelo that you'll hear from because he sounds it is also more gristled, right? But anyway, that doesn't really matter. But my Donatello. This guy does some voice acting stuff. I actually heard his voice in Across the Spider-Verse uh, as the spot, and he's got a good nerd sound to him, but also he's just a really damn fun and great actor. I went with Jason Swartzman as my Donatello. Okay, I can see that. Um, I'm actually okay. not a huge fan of Jason Swartzman, oddly enough. <laughs> oh, man. I showed your kid uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World while, while I had him over here, and he said that's his new favorite okay. movie. Now, granted, your son says whatever he just watches. His new favorite, his new favorite movie. movie yeah, but yeah. I think he really liked that one. Uh, okay. All right. So, yeah. What about your Don? Okay. So, I will be uh, honest with uh, the Flashback Turtles. I went exclusively with voice actors. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Um, and I didn't quite for Michelangelo, and I kind of have a, a reason for that, because I, w- I went with an actor for Michelangelo who I think was really fits the grizzled thing. Not that these guys can't do grizzled, mm-hmm. but you know, Michelangelo is going to be the face of this. So I did yeah. kind of, I was like, yeah. okay, I need to bring in someone. I had to, I think about who I wanted and I actually had this guy somewhere else originally. And I ended up moving him here because he can play nerd if we wants, because he voices professor Frank in the Simpsons. I went with Hank Azaria for my Donatello. Who's a, who's <laughs> yeah. a chameleon. Who's going to be able to do whatever kind of voice I want. And I think if you're going with these kind of, um, you know, vetted, fantastic voice actors, 
they're going to have so many of these diff- different types of roles that I'm not going to be able to be like, you know, I'm not going to shit on that. Yeah. I'm not going to because Frank Azaria or Hank Azaria has done so many amazing voice roles that this is, this is great. Yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. I also, I didn't happen. for everyone, but I kind of tried to look as like, okay, which one of these guys is actually from New York City and can maybe oh, okay. kind of you emulate accent, some yeah. stuff like that, uh, which I think Hank Azaria is actually from, from New York City. I, don't, I know... I think one of the other guys is, but one of them I don't think is. But it, that doesn't matter. These guys are professionals. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so let's move on to Raphael. So Raphael, he's he's the the hard headed one, but he's also he's kind of funny. He's kind of funny in a dark way. Yep. So I was looking around, and I remembered this video game I played that the character was violent and funny. And I went with the voice actor who who voiced Deadpool in the in the video game uh, Deadpool, which I actually really enjoyed, uh, and that is Nolan North. Yeah, Nolan North also voiced Deadpool in the Hulk versus uh, cartoon movie. Okay, Nolan North is uh, a, a, a top tier video game voice actor. Mm-hmm. People would know him maybe best from Uncharted, the Uncharted franchise. Uh, Nolan North is a great. Call. I could actually, I could maybe see him more as a Leonardo, just knowing the voices that I've heard from him before. But he's a voice actor. He's damn right. good. He can absolutely put on the more kind of a, a more Raphael sound for okay. sure. And I actually, I have a reason for picking Raphael uh, instead of Leonardo for him because the guy who I picked for Leonardo, I'll, I'll get to that in a second when I as to why or my thinking okay. of it. Um, but like you know, Raphael's got to be dark but still funny yeah. a little bit. And and yeah. I I felt that all through the uh, Deadpool video game, which I didn't quite finish, yes. but I actually really enjoyed playing. I enjoyed it too. It was a sh- it was a pretty short game. I do remember going through it pretty fast, but I liked it. It it, it felt right for Deadpool yes, fans. Yes, it did. Uh, yeah. Okay, who? Where are we on? Yours? Uh, my yeah. Raphael. So yeah, so yeah, we're doing flashbacks, and I obviously I went. I was thinking voice on this guy, and yes, it's dark, but there is some comedy in there. You know, Raph always kind of, he's also has a bit maybe more of a gristled voice to him. Um, this guy knows comedy. Definitely kind of one of the more dark and brooding um, and intimidating characters on the comedy show that he was in, which is Ted Lasso. I went with Brett Goldstein as my Raph. Okay. He is British, but I think, you know, he can make, can it. make he it, can it work. The voice. He can make it work. Yeah. I, I like that. I like Brett Goldstein. Uh, okay. I mean, Raph's going to be saying a lot of fucks then. Yeah, ex- I'm. I want the fucks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I, I want this. He does this, great. Th- th- out of any turtle storyline, this one has got to be adult. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's got to be violent. It's got to be harsh. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, Leonardo, who did you pick for Leonardo? All right, uh, Leonardo. He's the leader. You know, he's the most composed. Um, so someone who has a nice leader voice to him. Um, I was looking around at different. People. And then I eventually, I don't even know how I stumbled across this guy, um, but I know him. I know him best from his commercial work and he has done other stuff. He did a show. He was in a show called Shadowhunters. Um, he was in the second It movie or It Chapter 2. Um, he's been in plenty of stuff, but you remember, I know him best from Old Spice commercials where he's like the guy who's now I'm on a horse <laughs> and now I'm doing this. Good-looking guy, but he's got a nice mm-hmm. voice to him. I went with Isaiah Mustafa as my Leonardo. Look over here. Look down. <laughs> look up. Now I'm doing this, <laughs> and it's just—it's got a—he's got a good tone to his voice, and so that's yeah. Thought it would work. That's well. cool. Uh, so 
Leonardo is kind of the goody two shoes <laughs> of sure. of the turtles. So I actually went with a an actor who I think can give me like a good kind of like like almost Peter Parker voice, like okay. an older Peter Parker voice for for Leo. I want him to be just a little bit more goody two shoes. So I went to somebody who's done a Peter Parker voice. He was the voice of Peter Parker in the Sony Spider-Man video game that got a lot of acclaim. And he was the voice of Ben 10 in the Ben 10 uh, cartoon. And his name is Yuri Lowenthal. Okay. I I, I haven't really played much of that Spider-Man video game. I need to. I had a friend who worked on it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, the guy has done tons of he also voiced out oh, he-man uh, adam and he-man in a uh revival show that i don't think went, went went very far uh but yeah i'm i'm for that i mean he's very established in the voice acting world 789 credits holy crap yeah. between all those different video games and things like that damn he, he does Good he does you. mostly voice acting so he, a lot of video games a lot of tv shows yeah that sort of thing cool um also he's very famously uh uh married to um uh, Tara Platt, who is also a video game and cartoon voice okay. actor. Cool. Well, good for you, Yuri Lowenthal. <laughs> uh, yeah, solid. Good call. Cool. Uh, all right. Splinter. Uh, I did not necessarily go to the well of voice actors for this. I went with a uh, well-known film actor, but I needed somebody. With Splinter, uh, to me, he needs to have gravitas because he's got to dole out the wisdom Honestly, I'm shocked this guy had not been asked to be Splinter yet because I, I looked through his credits. I'm like, there's no way he hasn't been Splinter in something. Uh, I went with Ken Watanabe. That was the first name I wrote down, and I heavily considered it. I, I uh, until I, I kind of just veered off. You're right; he would be a perfect Splinter. I, I and I like him. I, I love obviously Jackie Chan as well, but Ken Watanabe is a better Splinter in my mind because he does. You're right; he has that gravitas. He's got that, you know, much more, I don't know, there, there's a leadership quality with Ken Watanabe. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's a perfect call. Perfect call. Yeah. So I did go different. And this guy, I have I liked him. I guess I think it was a movie. I can't remember. You you didn't dislike it, <laughs> uh, but I liked it more than you liked it, which was the more recent, the more recent Mortal Kombat movie. Mm-hmm. But I think all of us kind of agreed that this guy's acting was some of the best parts, particularly that early, early scene where you're seeing his character Scorpion and kind of like how his family dies and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I, he's a very good actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. I went with Hiroyuki Sanada as my split as my. So I, I did look at him, but the thing is, is I think pretty famously he doesn't, doesn't actually speak English. Oh, okay. Um, so you'd have to teach him phonetically how to say the line. He'll do it for me. He, you know, once he hears that I want him in a movie, he's definitely going to do it. If at any point there was a flashback to the original shredder, I would absolutely want that guy playing shredder. And honestly, he can speak Japanese for all I care. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have to speak English. That guy is badass. He looks badass. He would make a great, uh, shredder. Just like I yeah, thought he, he made would. a great Scorpion in a shitty movie, mm-hmm. which I don't blame him for. <laughs> it was not shitty. It was, it was fun. Not, it was not good at all. But oh, sorry, He was in Bullet Train, too. I yeah, like Bullet Train. But I think famously he doesn't really speak English all that much. Because uh, if you okay. remember, he was in uh, he was in Endgame, but he doesn't speak English at all in Endgame. He only uh, speaks Japanese. Okay. So, which is fine. That, doesn't, that honestly doesn't deter me from wanting to watch him. 
Um, so sure. it, you know, even though you actually wouldn't really be seeing him, if you can get him to to do the lines correctly, I'm I'm all for it. I'll give that guy more okay. work. I love it. Okay. Uh, okay, April O'Neil. Who did you pick for April? All right. So yeah, and and as you kind of mentioned, this is a more gristled April O'Neil. You know, one who has seen some shit. I think she's missing an arm and a leg in this in this and a leg. Yeah. yeah. So she's gone through gone through hell. And I did kind of stick to a l- more accurate looking April. I I think I picked on dead on like one from this comic book. She doesn't have the red hair, but she can dye it. You know right. what? I mean, I got it because I want to keep the red hair. This actor has very dark hair, but I think she still has like the perfect April O'Neil look, especially from this movie. Or sorry, especially for from this comic book. I went with Carrie Ann Moss as my April. Okay. O'Neil. I like that a lot. Uh, great with action. Yeah. Great actress, yeah. So yeah, I like that a lot. That's a that's a really good call. I actually ended up picking an actress who's even older. Okay. They even kind of mention like I think at one point in the in the in the comic, Mikey like when he wakes up, he's like, "April, you've aged," and like because well, <laughs> he I don't know he hadn't seen her in a while or something like that. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. So, but in the in the comic, I looked at the the person. I'm like, "You look exactly like this actress." The problem is, is this actress is older, like in her late sixties, early seventies, older. So I'm okay. either aging up, April, or I'm just not gonna, or she just is really gristled. But this woman is a badass, and yeah, we'll have to dye her hair red, but I don't give a shit. Uh, I went with Linda Hamilton. Okay, I mean, I can, I can understand that. I can see that connection. Obviously, it's very Linda Hamilton T two vibes in the comic yeah. book. I, I never saw Dark Fate. But I saw the I saw the the you know, the trailers and some of the pictures and stuff. She looks yeah. she looks badass. She still looked badass. So I she mean, did. and she can be gristled. So I was. I, I think if you, I mean, yeah, exactly. She you dye her hair, you could probably age her down a, a little bit, bit. but to, you don't need to, to do that, too a little much. bit. Not enough, no, too much, and it becomes much. noticeable. Yeah, exactly. Some some grays with the reds. Uh, she's that in in a role like this, she's perfect for yeah. it. Uh, okay. Casey Marie Jones, who is the daughter of April O'Neil and Casey Jones. Um, yep. So I decided, since I, I went with John David Washington for my Casey Jones, mm-hmm. I went with uh, Linda Hamilton for my April O'Neil. I'm going to find uh, someone who fits that family. And okay. I kind of aged her up because I think in the comics, she's actually supposed to be like 16 or 17. Yeah, she probably does need to be more like uh, 19, Yeah, 20. so I, I made her up to like early to 20 or something like that. And this okay. actress, I think, is in her late 20s, but she, you know, she can play young 20s. Yeah. Uh, and she's done action before. I went with Zazie Beetz. Okay. I, I like her as an actress. Um, I've enjoyed her uh, as Domino mm-hmm. in the uh, Deadpool 2 movie. Cool. I like her. I like her a lot. Cool. Here's All right, who'd go. you pick? I didn't stray far. Um, someone who I thought had the look, and she's done action before. I very much considered Millie Bobby Brown for a second, but I'm like, no, I can't get my head off of this one actress who has done almost this exact same type of role in the Hawkeye show. I went with Haley Steinfeld. I think she was just right yeah, on the money. I totally see that. That's a that's a great call. Okay. Uh, Oroku Hirotu is kind of the new shredder. Originally, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go with, uh, um, well, I can never remember how to pronounce his name, the guy who played Scorpion. And I was like, no, he's got to be. Oh, yeah, uh, he's yeah. got to be younger. Got to be. Yeah, yeah. he definitely has. He's got to be younger. So, I went looking for younger Japanese actors, and I came across this guy who is huge in Japan right now. Uh, he's an actor. He's a model. He's a good-looking dude. 
And I'd honestly, again, like the other one, I don't even know if he speaks English. He's, I, I think he's been in a few English speaking ones, but it's hard to say. I think most of what he's done is, is in Japan. You know what? Honestly, I don't care if he's, if he speaks English or not, we can, we can use translation. Uh, people just learn to read. <laughs> but he's got a really good look to him, and I think he's a really big name, so I think he would definitely draw a crowd, at least for those who are familiar with him. His name is Kento Yamazaki. Yeah, he's been in plenty of stuff. I don't recognize him, but I haven't, I mean, I haven't seen any of this stuff, but uh, if he can do the action side of it, I'm for it. Yeah. I'm I'm sure. It looks like he's done quite a few things, maybe a few things that actually do require action. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, but, I mean, you know, in the day in the days of Marvel, we can find trainers. We we find ways to make yes. them look good, so very true. Uh, all right, who did you pick? I went with uh, an actor who's been doing a good bit of uh, some action recently. Again, I guess I went back to the Mortal Kombat realm. <laughs> <laughs> He's in that one. Um, he plays uh, Liu Kang in that movie. He is also in the Aquaman movie. He was in the Power Rangers movie. He played Zack the Black Ranger. I went with Ludi Lin as my Oroko Hirotu. I mean, we, we know he can do action from Mortal Kombat and mm-hmm. even probably Power Rangers. I don't know what kind of stunts he did, but I'm fine with that. I'm trying to yep. think of trying to okay. see if there's anything else. That, I don't think there. Well, he was an Aquaman, but I don't really remember him from Aquaman. I only saw. Yeah. I have not seen Aquaman since I saw it in the theaters. Me too. I, and it was exactly. like I, I saw it. And I was like, it was, it was like good. it was fine, but I have no desire to like go back and rewatch it. Yeah. It was a fine movie. It was not a great movie. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm cool with that. Uh, all um, right. So that brings us to the man of the hour, our Michelangelo. Adam, who did you pick? Yeah, so this was this was a fairly tough one, but I really ended up only having one name who I really liked for it because he's got to be gristled. Mm-hmm. He's he's a little bit older than the other kind of the, even the other guys that I cast as the right. other turtles because he's you know he lasted longer and he's seen some more shit and he's dealt with a lot of uh, intense stuff. This actor. Uh, he's he's fantastic and he's done great acting th- with a CGI character before. You know we we loved him and slash we hated him and he was a great villain and one of the best villains probably in the, the last ten years um, because he lasted through quite a bit of those ten years because uh, he went through multiple films. I went with Josh Brolin as my Michelangelo. Okay, I can totally see that. Great, great he's, low rumbly yeah. voice. Yeah, I can totally see that. I'm fine okay. with that. That sounds good. My the guy I picked um, did not doesn't quite have as low rumbly a voice per se, but he does play a lot of like gristled type characters. We would most know him for kind of a pseudo short run that he had in in the MCU, but I he's also from New York City, and so I wanted to kind of use that. I went with Frank Grillo. Even, even though Mikey always had like a surfer sound. Yeah, to him. well, that was only in the one cartoon. <laughs> You're right. Okay. Uh, I went with Frank Grillo. Uh, he played Crossbones or Rumlow oh, in the MCU. Okay. okay. I, I'm not. He does some voice acting. I'm seeing that now. Yeah. Oh, he's in What If. He played. Yeah. Uh, Crossbones. Okay. I yeah. I liked him as Crossbones. I'm cool with this. I don't know enough of his stuff, honestly. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Well, he does a lot of, like, military-type stuff. Yeah. He was like in The it. Gray, if you ever saw that one. Yeah, that was the, the, the wolf, wolf movie. That's honestly, all I remember. CGI I actually wolves. kind of found that one kind of fun to watch. It was fun. I wouldn't okay. call that one, like, a great movie. It was just kind of, like, a fun fun watch. I think I actually watched that one with okay. Dad once. Okay. He had it right. on. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I I know he's done a few voiceover stuff. Sure. So. Sure. I, I'll give you the go ahead on okay. this one, John. I don't hate it, but I, I mean, yeah, it's totally okay. fine. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, that was our fan casting for a TMNT The Last Ronin movie. Please join us next time for another top 10 episode. This time, John and I go over one of the best voice actors of all time, and we pick our top 10 Frank Welker characters. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. comic books me too hi i'm john join me over at the comics underground podcast where i invite guests to discuss their favorite comic books graphic novels manga and more go to bfopnetwork.com for more info or find me on your favorite podcatcher i'll see you there